Crosswalk Church Podcast in Phoenix, Arizona. So let's go ahead now and dig into um, Matthew chapter 27. We're going through this SCAR series, which I'm very excited for. Uh, last week's message, we dealt with anxiety and how God just uh, blesses us and carries us through our anxiety because he loves us so much. And he really tells us that when, when he's with us, when he's our hero, man, we can actually be inverse paranoids because, hey, why worry? Because God is on our side. He's on our team. Today, we're going to talk in a very similar vein about what happens when life isn't fair. And this is a story of when life was incredibly unfair to our Savior, Jesus Christ. This portion of scripture that I'm about to read to you from Matthew chapter 27 actually tells of the culmination of our sins being piled on Jesus and him being judged fully a criminal and a sinner in our place while we um, get off scot-free. And there is actually in history uh, a prisoner who was a criminal and got off free and his name was also ironically Jesus. Not Jesus Christ, but Jesus Barabbas. And we're going to hear his story this morning. So we'll read Matthew 27, verses 15 to 26, so that we can, first of all, get a sense of the whole story. Now, it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. This is the Passover festival, and apparently the Roman governor, Pilate, did this uh, each year. So he was going to release a prisoner. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Which Jesus? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah, the Christ? Pilate asked, and they all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I'm innocent of this man's blood, he said. It's your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. So what what do you believe about fairness? Do you believe that you should be living in a very fair and just world? Do you have the expectation that you're going to be treated with fairness wherever you go? Or do you look at it this way? I I live in a fallen world. And I'm a fallen person myself. I'm a, a sinful person. And in that kind of environment, I can really expect to encounter some injustice and some unfairness at times. You see, as I look at the world, I see a lot of injustice and unfairness going on. I'm sure many, if not every one of you, has experienced injustice in your life. And and you know, there are so many kinds of unfairness Unfairness and injustice has so many faces. It's like a chameleon. It can look like a lot of different things. It can take many forms. I remember when I was back in college, 
I had a college English professor. You know what's so interesting about when you feel like you've been treated unfairly? It just imprints itself on your brain, doesn't it? And this is a memory from more than five years ago, college. Okay, nobody's going to laugh at that. I, my jokes really stink. <laughs> I had an English professor. And he felt it was, I think his responsibility to sort of weed us out. And you know how college English is anyway. You have to generate an essay every week, and then you get it back with a grade on it. And every week I would look at my grade. And it wasn't just me. If it had been just me, I would have thought, well, (laughs) maybe it's just that I stink at English. But all of my classmates... We're getting similar results, and not just low grades, but one week it would be high, and one week it would be low, and it seems so arbitrary and unfair, not just for me, but for all my buddies in class. So I, being me, said, I I am going to pull this guy aside. Forget the fact that he's been teaching English for 30 years, right? And I'm going to tell him what I think, which I proceeded to do. I still remember the meeting. It's imprinted, as I said, on my brain. Because when I sat down with this professor to try to persuade him that he was not being fair, but rather arbitrary in his grading system, and could he at least explain to us, maybe in a little more red ink, why one week I got an A and the next week I got a D. And he just looked at me and completely stonewalled me. I mean, cold stone walled me. And explained to me from his perch of 30 years of teaching English that he knew exactly what he was doing. He had a system. It had worked well for him. And by the way, in fact, it's a good thing if you struggle with English because maybe if you're struggling that bad, you don't belong in this college. Wow, Uh, it hit me hard. Just what I perceive to be the complete unfairness of it all. I don't know if that story calls to mind things in your past. This week I was reading a really interesting story in USA Today about a reporter named Tom Vandenbroek. And Tom had discovered that The U.S. military was behind some operations, and these types of operations are as ancient as warfare itself. But our military was behind some operations called information ops. Now, information ops is, I guess, what you could perhaps loosely call a military marketing campaign. Only they're not always so interested in telling the truth. Because the idea is to spread your side of the story the way that you want it told in places like Iraq and Afghanistan so that obviously you can win the war. The objective is not to get to the bottom or to get to the truth. It's to win the war. And also, by the way, such information ops are pointed back at our own country because, so the story goes, If you lose political support for a war, well, we all know from Vietnam where that ends up. So Tom Vandenbroek began to unearth the story of what he felt was information ops going on and some inaccuracies that were going out in Iraq and Afghanistan and perhaps back here. And here was the interesting thing that happened to him, as reported in USA Today. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, a Facebook page in his name popped up with posts from Tom Vandenbroek on them. Posts that weren't exactly complimentary to his image and to his reporting. And then after that, a website and a Twitter account and various different information sharing things that were all purportedly in the name of Tom Vandenbroek. Completely unfair completely out of left field. And and I want you to know that I'm up here as someone who's lived outside of this country for 14 years. I'm a huge patriot. I believe in our country. 
But I'm telling you, when I say that unfairness and injustice is literally all around you and me, this is what I mean. Now, there was an interesting turn of phrase, which is what caused me to talk about how Tom Vandenbroek was treated so unfairly. The military did get involved, and in their defense, what they said to USA Today is that these were actually defense contractors, not the military itself that was doing this, and that they would try to put an end to it. And in fact, I guess the websites and the Facebook pages and the Twitter accounts were pulled down. What one online reputation expert by the name of Andy Beale said was that Vandenbroek had developed what he calls determined detractors. Now just hear that for a minute. By his actions, he had stirred up a hornet's nest of people who became determined detractors against him. And I think when we look at the Bible, we look at the story of Jesus, what do we see? We see a crowd of very determined detractors, don't we? We, we, we see people who are, no matter what, bound to seeing Jesus Barabbas get released, even though he's the last man that deserves to be released, and to seeing Jesus Christ crucified. And, and the, man, the, the people leading the, the charge, are they are hell-bent to see that this happened. Talk about determined detractors. And this whole story is really, as a result of those determined detractors, a story of unfairness. I want to lead you back through this story. And I, and I want to show you what I, I kind of went through Matthew 27. I said, how many little or big instances of unfairness can I identify here? And, and I came up with seven of them. The bad guy, Barabbas, is allowed to get off the hook. Have you ever experienced that in your life? In your work? Or perhaps uh, among your neighbors? And you're, you're like, what? How did that guy get released? How did that happen? Number two, and it's sort of a corollary, number one, the wrong guy not only gets off the hook, he kind of gets rewarded. He's freed. He can do whatever he wants. And this guy, by the way, had evidently been an insurrectionist, someone who was doing exactly what the Pharisees were accusing Jesus of doing, leading a rebellion against the Roman Empire. Jesus Barabbas had actually been doing that. And Jesus, who hadn't been doing that, gets no reward. The wrong guy gets rewarded. Verse 18 is interesting. Take a look at it. For he knew, this is Pilate, Pilate knew it was out of what? Self-interest. We underline that word? It was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. You want to see unfairness? Just get around a lot of people that their main goal in life is driven by self-interest. Because once you're driven by self-interest... You don't care what it does to others. Your only goal is to get up on their back, put your boot lugs on their back, and climb up to the next level. And fairness, well, who's going to let a little fairness and justice get in the way? Because I'm interested in me and my success. Four, the reputation of the innocent is trashed. Jesus, who was truly innocent as both God and man, the holy, perfect God, the Bible tells us that he never sinned, not even one time in his entire 33-year life. He never sinned. He was pure and innocent, and yet his reputation totally gets trashed. Boy, this is one of the ones that pains you, doesn't it? Where you've really tried hard to take the high road, <laughs> 
where you've really made an effort to go, I, I want to be on the, on the right side here. I want to be doing the right thing. I want to honor God and please him. And despite your deep desire to do what's right in God's eyes, your reputation gets trashed. Oh, that is painful. The next one, what else do we notice in this story? The good guy gets crucified. Some of you have had that happen recently at your workplace where you've been working hard for your company, <laughs> you've been putting all kinds of hours and effort in, and it might come in a mild form of you get no recognition for that, and so you're sort of crucified in a sense by omission. But some of you have actually been crucified metaphorically by commission, meaning you've gotten laid off or fired or accused of things that you did not do, you've been crucified even though you were innocent. And man, does that scar a person. And what was the response of those in authority? The one, especially in authority, who had the power to actually change the course of events and get this back on the right track? How does Pilate act? He washes his hands of the whole affair. His blood's not on me. Don't blame me for this. Oh. If you've experienced that kind of unfairness, you know. But maybe the worst one of all is number seven. A, a whole crowd of people that were called God's people, God's children, the, the, one, the ones whom Jesus had every right, a full right to expect, these people are on my team. For centuries I've been loving them. For centuries I've been forgiving them. For centuries I have shepherded them like a flock. These are my people. I know they'll have my back, even though this Roman governor won't. And then what happens? Crowds of determined detractors of his very own family, his own people, shout, put him to death, kill him, crucify him. Oh my goodness. To have those who are in a position to care not care? To even hear them say, I think this is maybe the deepest wound. Pilate looks at the crowd and he goes, you realize his blood is going to be on your heads. It's going to be on your hands now, right? And what do they say? Do they care? They don't care. They're like, bring it on, Pilate. We don't care. When we look at this story of Jesus, we see injustice in all its many forms, all its many colors. And it is painful to think about how Jesus must have felt, how we feel when we're in a similar situation to Jesus. Here's what I want you to write down. First of all, we need to realize that we do live in a fallen world. And in this fallen world, with ourselves being fallen too, injustice and unfairness will take many forms. We just went through seven of those forms. But there are many others. It's all around us all the time. And here's the thing. Your mom probably told you as my mom told me, Jeff, life is not fair. Right? And I'm like, come on, mom. Being the idealist that I am. We got to do something about this. We got to make life fair. We got we to talk to people. We got to take action. I'm just not down with that, that life is unfair, and we're just going to accept that, right? And now I'm my mom's age. And you know what I've learned? Life's not fair. Now, that doesn't mean we should give up, because I was right, too. We do have to fight it. We, we have to notice injustice and unfairness. We have to be willing to stand up against it. We have to have peace about the unfairness that has happened in our own lives, and we have to have courage 
to face the unfairness in the world around us that's happening to our friends and our family members and our neighbors and our coworkers. It's not enough to throw our hands up and say, well, life's just unfair. But on the flip side, if you and I go through life thinking, ah, life is always going to be fair, life is always going to be just, I should expect that, guess what you're doing? You're setting yourself up for a big disappointment. And not just one big disappointment. You're setting yourself up for multiple day after day after day disappointments. My mom was wise. Your mom probably said something very similar, or your dad. And, and, and here's the thing. We do have to adjust to this fact. It's, it's like Jesus said, right, about the poor. And many, we know, many poor people are unjustly and unfairly poor. But what did Jesus say? The disciples wanted to help them. And Jesus said, great, I love helping poor people. Jesus helped poor people all the time. But he also said this. You will always have the poor with you. Be real. Don't set your expectations in a bad place. Otherwise, your everyday reality is going to come in so far below. So what do we do? what, What do we do when we've been scarred by unfairness and injustice? What do we... What are we supposed to think? What does God want you and me to to feel? And, And not only, by the way, when we've been injured and when we've been scarred by the injustice of others, what does God want you to think? What does God want you to feel? What does God want you to do when you've been the perpetrator? When you've done something that's unjust and unfair, maybe even something that's unjust and unfair against someone that you love deeply. How are we supposed to respond? How are we supposed to get ourselves in line with the heart of God on these things? And I think looking at the story of Jesus tells us so much about the depth of God's love for us. Do you understand how deep that love is for you? You see, because Jesus did not allow himself to be put in this position with Pilate and Barabbas and, and this crowd of determined detractors shouting for his crucifixion only because he wanted to say, hey, guys, watch me. I'm going to kind of go through this and uh, I'll teach you how to be a good victim of injustice. If you just follow my path, you know, do the things, just check them off, you'll, you'll have a, I, I can be your guru of how to suffer injustice. Now, I'm not saying he's not a great guru of how to suffer injustice. He is, but he's so much more. And this is what David knew already, even though he was born centuries before Jesus, before the Christ, he knew the heart of God. And and David was actually, um, he was actually being plotted against and treated unjustly. Some historians think it was maybe by the family of Saul shortly after David became king. Obviously, some of them were not happy that David had become king and displaced their family member, Saul. And so they tried to plot to dethrone him and unseat him. And they came up with a pretty good scheme. Other historians think that this psalm may have been written in response to David's own son, Absalom. The son whom David loved and raised with great care. David's own son Absalom led a plot and a rebellion and a coup attempt against his father David. Can you imagine the hurt that that would have caused? Look at what David says. They plot injustice and say we have devised a perfect plan. I know what's going on. I'm real enough to know, David says. Surely the human mind and heart are cunning. The first part of David's realism about unfairness in our world was as he held on to the love of God 
which we're going to talk about in more depth and detail and why Jesus went to the cross in a moment. As he held on to that, he also very realistically held on to the other end that he lives among fallen people, sinful people in a sinful world, and that they're going to devise their plans. But that ultimately, the problem of unfairness and injustice it is not just that. There's something below, beneath, sourcing that. In fact, unfairness and injustice in our world is really a symptom of the true disease. And what does David identify as that true disease? Surely the human mind, he says, and heart are cunning. And what that word cunning means in the original language is it it actually means something very simple. It means deep. The human mind and the human heart are deep. And this is the sense, and this is why the translators translate it cunning. Anybody here ever been in caves deep down in the earth? And, And what do you find in caves deep down in the earth? You usually find creepy, crawly things and flying animals that you would hope to avoid that leave their droppings all over the place. And you find if you turn your flashlight off, deep, deep darkness. When David says, surely the human mind and heart are deep, that's the image the image of being deep in the bowels of the earth where things are creepy and crawly and bats fly around in there with not very good ideas and it is deep darkness. In other words, sin. And because of that, because the human heart and the human mind are deep, are cunning, are dark, that creates a world that is often dark and as a result, unfair and unjust. That's the second step of understanding. Why is there unfairness in our world? There is unfairness and injustice in our world because our world is deeply afflicted by this thing, this disease, this horrible spiritual thing that gets passed down from generation to generation going all the way back to Adam and Eve. Sin, that's why. And David correctly identifies it here. He says that injustice is the result of a heart problem. It's not just an exterior issue. But I told you, he holds on to two things. He not only holds on to his realism about humankind, he holds on to God and his love. And even before Jesus is born or dies, he knows what that Messiah is going to bring. He knows, even though he doesn't know the detail of it the way we do from reading this story, that the Messiah is going to be someone who would be willing to be treated unjustly. That the Messiah would be willing to have someone released while he's punished. That the Messiah would be willing to have his reputation burned while another one has their reputation raised and lifted up undeservedly. He knew that the Messiah was going to be that person who would have lots of determined detractors just like he as King David was having. People calling for his life and plotting to bring him down and he knew this. He knew that because he was the Messiah, he was doing it as his champion as a sign of his deep love. You see, God, God was not one, and David knows this. David, David knew God is not one to stand back up here and go, I see you guys down there suffering. Go get them. I'm, I'm up here cheering for you. I, I really want you to succeed. God's not distant like that. God's not cold and uncaring and going, you know what, I'm up here in the stands, I just want to applaud and clap you on. God is, he's the Jesus 
that says, I want to be on the field. I, I want to have skin in the game the way my people have skin in the game. And when they hurt, I want them to know I know what that hurt feels like. When they suffer injustice, when unfair things happen to them, I want them to, to look at me and go, I have a Savior who was willing to be treated so unjustly, it led to the loss of his life. And that's how deep his love is for me. And that love and that sacrifice, that humility, that, that created and crafted my forgiveness. Jesus is not just my guru, he's my hero. Jesus is my champion who steps onto the field and says, let's go, guys. I'm leading the charge. We're going to wipe out sin in people's hearts. By the shedding of my blood on the cross, by the resurrection three days later, we are going to conquer sin. We're going to conquer death. And I'm going to do that for you. Your champion, your savior. Look at what David says. Because he knows that love. The righteous will rejoice in the Lord. Yeah, I've got these determined detractors. I've got these people attacking and plotting against me. They, they think they've got it on me. But the righteous, those who believe and trust in God, will rejoice in the Lord, will take refuge in him. Will you underline those words? Take refuge in him. All the upright in heart will glory in him. And what that means is he's the champion. He's the one that's helping us win this death match at the cost of his own life. And so we glory in him. And what's more, <laughs> what's beautiful, is that by seeing Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit having him as our Savior, we derive peace and courage no matter what's going on in our lives and no matter, by the way, how unfair and unjust it is. Because they can't take Jesus from you. They can't take his love. They can't take his forgiveness. They can't take the eternal life that he gives you as a free gift. They can't take away the fact that he is walking with you and that his shield is guarding you. And what I want to spend the rest of today's message really talking about is, is just two things. One, take that peace and courage home with you. Because that teaches you so much how to deal with when you have been scarred by injustice. You know, some of you are sitting in this room today, and when you think back on something unfair and unjust that happened to you, <laughs> you're not thinking about a college professor you may be thinking about something a lot deeper. You, you may be thinking about something unfair and unjust that was perpetrated upon you by someone that you had every right to expect would protect you, not abuse you. And, and you may be thinking to yourself, how did that happen? How, how could God have allowed that to happen. And there's Pastor Jeff telling me how loving God is and that incredibly unfair, unjust thing was allowed to happen in my life. How does that fit? And, and what I want to have you leave this room assured of is that no matter what damage the sin and the fallenness of this world, of other people, even people that are close to you, have caused you, do not let that for a moment make you think that your heavenly Father has deserted you, does not love you. I, I can't explain all the hows and the whys. What I can tell you is, the problem is not just a surface problem of the injustice, it's the depth of the darkness that is in all of our hearts. The sin bats flying around and leaving 
their poof behind in our lives. The, the creepy, crawly, ugly sins that go on in all of our heads, sins of pride and selfishness, sins of lust and greed, sins of anger and hurt. And I can tell you that despite the fallenness of this world, that's why it's so important never, ever, ever to forget that your Savior, your God said, I'm coming down there to be with them. And what I'm doing is not going to prevent all hurt and injustice from happening to them right now today, but ultimately, there's going to be a place where for eternity, you will never, ever suffer injustice again. And for today, you still have Jesus in all his love walking with you. And those acts of injustice that were perpetrated against you, they can be turned into something that forms you into someone who can truly bring glory to God. Even the pain can be turned into something good. Here's what I believe. Just, this is just years of counseling. I, I believe that when people are treated unjustly, there are two most common responses. One is the one that I learned as a child growing up in a family. You've all heard, and I've told you this story before, that my, uh, my mom's side were hillbilly people from Kentucky and West Virginia, and uh, we lived very near um, you know, where the Hatfields and the McCoys had their uh, generational feuds. And my mom was very much part of that culture, although she, she came much wiser and better um, and actually taught me to forgive and love. But there was also in my family a little bit of someone hits you, you smack them back twice as hard. And growing up, that was the culture that I learned from my mom, from my dad, and the thought behind that was that if you don't smack them back, you will not be respected. And if you are not respected, they will feel free to walk all over you again and again and again. So stand up for yourself. And if you get hit, hit back twice as hard. That's one response. And some of you have been taught that response. Some of you just believe that response because that's not just a family or a cultural thing. That's a sin thing too. And so your first response when someone treats you unjustly, and maybe it's just verbal, but maybe it's actually physical, is to lash out in anger and blast that person. And I hope if that's your response, you'll rethink that a little bit today. There's another response that I think is way more common among people that were raised as Christians. See, I wasn't. You know what that response is? And I see it all the time in my counseling. It's the people that instead of forgiving or releasing their anger or even just honestly lashing out and talking about it, you know what they do? They put it in a place deep inside and they hold on to that anger. And you know what the thought often is behind this? I'm a Christian. Christians don't take revenge. Christians are kind. And if anything, I should be a martyr. I should just take it. Jesus suffered. I'm going to suffer. But in their packing it inside of them, deep inside of them, they forget one important point. They, they forget that Jesus did not hold on and nurse a grudge and nurse a hurt. You see, there's a difference between being angry and being hurt. By the way, both of those emotions, God is described as having them over sin and injustice. The Bible says in some places God gets angry with injustice. In other places, he's hurt by injustice. But when we hold on to our hurt and our anger and nurse it and keep it and stuff it instead of releasing it, it's going to impact everything that goes on forever. It's like, 
It's like that ring in Lord of the Rings, right, that Gollum has. And if you ever saw the pictures of the early Gollum, he was actually kind of a handsome guy. But the longer he grabbed hold of that ring and had to have that ring, and that's the way we hold on to our anger and our frustration, and we think to ourselves, if I forgive, I'm telling the other person, it really didn't hurt all that bad. Now, let's go back. Look at what David does. (laughs) And and very quickly, I'm going to run you through these four tips. Instead of nursing it, instead of lashing out, here's how God tells us. And, And you know what every one of these is? These are not necessarily tips for action as much as these are tips for rest more deeply in my love. Receive the peace and the courage that I have for you. What does David do with this conspiracy? Hear me, O God, as I voice my complaint. Protect my life from the conspiracy of the wicked. Hide me from the conspiracy of the wicked, from the plots of evildoers. David knows I've got a big brother who can kick your butt. And so what does he do? He goes and talks to him. He knows that he and God are a majority no matter how many people are allied against him. And so what does he do? He goes, God, help me. Hear my complaint. Hide me from the conspiracy of the wicked. So here's the very first thing to do to tap into God's love and to Jesus being your big brother. Just go to him and tell him what's going on. Tell him about that unjust, unfair thing that just happened to you. And say to him, Jesus, you know what this feels like. You were put on trial. The wrong guy was released. You were crucified. Hear me. And by the way, Lord, also hide me. Don't let their plot do the damage that they want it to do. Number two, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. See, David, out of the first one, feels no need to lash out. And out of this verse, he feels no need to lash out or to nurse the hurt because he says, I'm going to take my anger and my hurt over this injustice and I'm going to give it to God. And this is actually Paul writing here in the New Testament now. And he says, that's the right approach. Now I want to show you a verse from Psalms that actually shows that David did this I'm going to read to you a verse where where David did exactly this. He took it to God and he said, God, I'm turning it over to you. And this is Psalm 64, 7 to 9. I didn't put it in your notes, but this is what it says. But God will shoot them with his arrows. They will suddenly be struck down. He will turn their own tongues against them and bring them to ruin. All who see them will shake their heads in scorn. All people will fear. They will proclaim the works of God and ponder what he has done. Ever prayed a prayer like that? Most of us feel like that wouldn't be a very Christian thing to pray. But David is described as a man after God's own heart And instead of nursing his anger or instead of lashing out himself, what he does is he goes, God, you got to hear me. This is not right. This is not fair. This is not just. I'm giving it to you. You'll know the right thing to do, God. And that's exactly what we should be doing. In other words, peace and courage tip two, place my anger into God's hands. Peace and courage tip number three comes from the Apostle John. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and they in God, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Underline that whole phrase. So we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Can I ask you just a simple question? 
particularly if you're going through something unfair and unjust in your life right now? Could you say this honestly with the Apostle John? I know and I rely on the love God has for me. God is love. And here's why I ask that question. When you're experiencing injustice and unfairness, one of the first things that many of us do because we're weak in our faith is we start to question God. We start to question his love. We start to question his power. And John says, don't go there. John says, you can know and rely on God's love every day, 24-7, all the time, despite whatever circumstances are going on in your life. He loves you. He is love. And he goes on to say this, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them, and there is no fear in love. How many times are our responses to injustice driven by fear? right? That's what my mom taught me, what my dad taught me. Look, if you don't strike back right away, you need to be very afraid because they're not going to respect you, and you're just going to get stepped on again and again and again. Be afraid. Now go smack them. And I'm telling you, we generate so much stuff out of fear. We stuff our anger over injustice, and don't talk it out. We don't confront it because we're afraid. Oh, it's going to be so painful to do that. Or I'm going to cause this person to hurt. And we live our lives driven by our fears, not by our loves. And when I know and rely on the love God has for me, that's so freeing. Now I'm, I'm free to not lash out or strike back because, hey, I'll give it to God. I'm free to not stuff it and, and stay hurt and angry for years and years and decades and decades and let that twist me up and make a golem out of me. I'm free from all of that because I know God is love. He loves me. Peace and courage, tip three. Rely on God's love and replace fear as your motivation with love as your motivation. And here's the final one. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Now look at that goal. If, if for a moment you have thought to yourself during today's message, well, Pastor Jeff is just saying be good martyrs. You know, don't do anything about injustice. Don't notice it. You know, basically give it all to God. Let me correct that right now. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what God is telling us. If we walk with Jesus, if we're in relationship with him, he is going to change us. Just being in that relationship with Christ is going to change you. And, and, and more and more and more as you're in this relationship with Christ that you know and rely on his love, you're going to become more like him. And you're going to notice the injustice that's going on in the world. And you're going to say, I'm God's hands, I'm God's feet, I'm God's eyes, I'm God's ears. Jesus would fight this. Jesus is fighting this. And I'm right here with him. And it's clear from the Bible, clear. I am here to loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, set the oppressed free, and break every yoke. A Christian is an active person. And if you're saying to yourself, but, but Pastor Jeff, you said like this problem of injustice and unfairness has so many faces. It's like a chameleon. How can we ever deal with all of this? It's, it's everywhere around us. You know what Jesus' answer to that is too, don't you? When he was in that courtroom with Barabbas and Pilate and the people around him, his only concern about injustice was what was happening right near him. You know what that tells us? You want to fight injustice and unfairness and sin in our world? Just pick a spot. Yeah, it's a big problem, 
The good news is pick any spot. Pick the spot nearest to you and start crusading against injustice and unfairness. Not because you fear, but because you are loved and because you love. Do you have some determined detractors in your life right now? People who seem just hard set on bringing you down and they don't care about treating you fairly or justly. Have you been that guy maybe sometime recently or in the past? The perpetrator, I mean, of injustice. I hope today's message tells you whichever side, and we've all probably been on both sides of that, even if it has scarred you, it can be something that brings glory to God as we have him as our champion, the one who loves each of us, forgives us for our sins of injustice and unfairness, and heals us from the wounds of the injustice that has been perpetrated against us, heals us until all that's left is a scar that brings glory to him. Here's your next steps. Jesus was treated unfairly and unjustly in my place. My Savior gives me peace and courage as I rest in his forgiveness and love, even in the midst of injustice. And my response to that is know and rely on the love God has for you. Didn't Jesus prove his love? God is love. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. And in case I missed that last villain, it's loose. Loose the chains of injustice. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are amazing in sending us your Son to be our champion and our hero. And Lord, we ask you to, to turn our hearts and minds and our eyes to him, to, to, to have him by the power of your Holy Spirit be our hero and our champion and our big brother and our savior. Lord, grant that, that we walk with him every day of our life, that we're, that we're able, because we know his love, to not act in fear, but to come to you in prayer when we feel that we're treated unjustly, to turn our anger over to you, to, to rely on your love day by day, and to seek and work for justice in our world. Lord, all these things we know are by your power and grace, and we ask you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.